Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good. You're looking beardy today. <laughs> yeah, I'm growing it out for um, for my camping trip. I want to look extra wildernessy. That's important. <laughs> yeah. You need that face protection for mosquitoes and such. Yeah, and someone was joking that, like, you know, if I were to get lost in the woods and uh, they needed to distribute photos, uh, mm. my last known photo would have facial hair, and I probably would if I were stuck in the woods. So, safety first. That's smart. Where are you camping? <laughs> uh, up at the Boundary Waters in Minnesota. So, up cool. near the Canadian border. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. How was your trip? Uh, it was a great. We were by a river. It was pretty great. Went in the water a lot. It was hot, but we were in the shade, so it was bearable. And uh, the only thing I forgot or did not think about was mosquitoes. Yeah. And so, like, I did hammock camping where I'm, like, just, like, not in a tent. And that worked great in every way except for the mosquitoes, like, attacking me throughout the night. So, you don't have, like, a, a mosquito net sewn on to your hammock? No. They make hammocks that have that. And so, that, that's totally, like, a normal need. I just have never camped during mosquito season in my hammock. And so, I had not, like, come across this yet. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's why people do this. <laughs> so I was improvising, like wrapping stuff around my head. And like it was it was kind of a pain in the ass. But yeah, I was buying some supplies and I was like, I'm just going to get like I'm not worrying too much about cancer causing chemicals. I'm just going to get the strong stuff. I think I ended up buying a bottle of like 98 percent DEET. <laughs> and I was talking to someone. They're like, yeah, you may want to back off that percentage a little bit because it'll just eat through your clothing. <laughs> so I'm like, OK, maybe I'll get something a little less. But I'm going to bring that just in case it's uh, it's especially uh, gnarly and I just need to like go full 100 percent. <laughs> yeah, I, I have had not good results with any of that. In my experience, it just doesn't make any difference. The bugs are like, yeah, that's cool. You supposedly put that on there, but I don't know. That's just me. But yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing how your trip goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Should be good. Cool. So uh, what's up in business world? Oh, you know, I've been spending a lot of time in the code this week, sort of alluded to that last week where I, I just was giving myself some freedom to uh, make progress on stuff that I know I'm going to need to build one way or another and try to get my my minimum viable product more close to the minimum um, of at least the things that I know I need to build. So yeah, and I actually end up spending quite a bit of time in Elmland this week. I was starting to feel like things were getting like in need of refactoring, like I kept adding stuff to it. And Elm is a pretty straightforward language. Like there's not too many ways you can do things, which is kind of nice. It, it has a, a kind of a, a very tight tool set that you can use. But there are strategies once you start getting a, a reasonably sized application, there's different strategies for kind of breaking your code up in different ways. And um, so I've been watching some videos. Richard Feldman has a bunch of really good conference talks out there from different Elm conferences and, and other conferences and probably a little bit of yak shaving going on, I'd say. But I'm, my code base is feeling much tighter now. And it was not like a real concern of mine. But in the back of my head, I was like, from time to time question, like, is the Elm choice the right choice? I don't really know how this is going to function at scale. And that's really something I'm only going to discover as I get there. What kind of scale are you talking about here? Just like thousands of lines of single page application code. You know, there's two different ways that you can deploy Elm code. You can either do an SPA or you can just do like individual components and use server side routing. And each page kind of has their own Elm program running it. And everything is just sort of naturally more broken up that way. But to have to manage like basically the entire state of the application and, and which page you're on and routing and all that, it is starting to feel like a pretty decent amount of code. I haven't done a, a line count 
recently, but yeah, it's a substantial body of code. So the type system promise is that like refactoring should be easy. So as that code becomes a little bit harder to keep track of and you feel the need for more abstraction and whatnot, it should be amenable to that. It is. So that's, I'm struck time and time again, just how easy refactoring is. And as soon as it compiles, like fortunately it's always just worked. So that promise is, is holding. <laughs> it's pretty beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Over on our side, Spencer and Joel have moved from focusing a lot on C++ to Swift, and they are very happy with that change because the type system is is nicer and there's just like sort of a newer, more considered friendly language, and they're they're happy with that. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. I've heard good things about Swift. I haven't really played around with it much, but uh, same. Yeah. yeah, no personal experience, but like people that care about that kind of thing, who I respect, have said nice things about it. So mm-hmm. I believe them. Yeah. 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 Cool. So does it feel good to be back in the, the coding swing? It does. I mean, it's it's feels good to be making progress on and just seeing features that I've wanted to implement for a while kind of come to fruition. So continuing to build out like the way conversations happen in groups. And now when someone posts a reply to a post, for example, and you have two browser windows open via WebSocket magic, it automatically propagates down and it's kind of the the whole like reactive interface promise that like part of the reason why I'm doing a single page application with Elm is so that, you know, you can get that kind of loop of the browser window always staying up to date. So it's it's really fun to see that come together. And like that's the payoff for all this uh, a little bit of extra work in like maintaining a bunch of state on the front end, I think. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about like the app itself? Like as as it's coming together? I'm feeling very positive. I'm feeling like there's a lot of work to do and sort of what I was alluding to last week like this year is flying by you know I think about where I was at last week versus this week and I'm making progress but at this pace like I just don't know when it's going to be ready and that's a little bit daunting and concerning but trying not to get in my head too much about that and or think too much about it and just every day make progress mm-hmm. yeah so. that's that's all you can do yeah. yeah or raise a ton of money hire five people yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, I heard you, uh, I saw that you were on startups for the rest of us as well. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That was a fun one. Did you see a subscriber bump after that came out? Yeah. Like I haven't been digging too deep into attribution, at least in the last week or so, but the reservation count is continuing to rise by at least a hundred a day, I think. And so they're just trickling in from different sources. I was also on full stack radio, so got some traffic from that. Of course, it's pretty hard to attribute podcast listener traffic, I suppose, because they're just kind of direct, direct visitors. But um, yeah, yeah, I have yeah. a full stack radio episode in the can as well. So oh, do you? Nice. Yeah, we'll see if that how that works. Adam's got an, a decent audience over there, I think. So. Yeah, he does. He's good at being useful on the internet. He is. That's for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, should I go? Yeah, go for it. All right. So the code quality challenge is in full swing. This week is probably the worst case week, maybe well, one of the worst case weeks to, to launch a thing like this. It's the middle of summer. It's the holiday in the US. There's also apparently a Canadian holiday also this week or somewhere else has a holiday. I forget where. Somewhere not here. And so it was like, okay, there's like multiple holidays in, in progress, but we'll see. Still have like a good cohort of people. There's something like 870 people signed up for this cohort, which is pretty legit. And getting like, as, as usual, like really good conversation on the forums, the people that are engaged are getting value from it and doing useful things and improving their apps and sharing useful things with other people. And it's, it's awesome. 
I saw a thread today from someone saying, hey, like any other London people in the challenge that want to like meet up and talk quality? And it's like, it's awesome. I love, I love seeing that. Yeah, when, when it jumps from online to actual like more real connections, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and, and, and like kind of becoming a community where it's not just like me pushing this, like running a thing. It's kind of like there's a group of people and we have our own goals and people are, are doing their own efforts. I think that's really cool. In Tuple land, we actually just hired a consultant. So you may have seen me tweet about this earlier this week, but we realized that like we're building a native app on the Mac. All three of us are web programmers. We just have none of this Mac OS experience. And so we wanted someone to be able to just like sanity check and get us pointed in the right direction. And like, all right, let's get things building. Let's get the project configured correctly and all this. And also be like available for questions as we go. So I, I tweeted about that and got some some really good responses. The best one I reached out to and we did a call with and we were pleased. I haven't gotten his permission to use his name yet, but hopefully I can. Um, he spent a lot of time working on an app, a Mac app you have heard of, a good one. And so his his pedigree is strong. We were excited to work with him. Cool. So what's the nature of that engagement going to look like? Is he going to write code for you? He's going to train your team? What's that going to look like? So the first thing we're doing is kind of a limited scope thing where it's literally like, let's get an Xcode project set up and building with the dependencies that we need. So we have like a one command line command build process. The dependency world is not as beautiful as you're used to in like Ruby. It's just more annoying to be like, we need this version of this and this version of this and, you know, compile them this way. Uh, all that worked. You wish there was like bundler for C, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah, that would be cool. And there are things yeah. that are kind of like it, but still not as good. And so it's an area where like getting some help is, is going to be really useful. So the first thing is we're estimating basically one day of his time to literally just like build this project or put it together and help us get it building. And then probably more ad hoc stuff in the future. But but we'll see. We'll show us, we're going to see how this first engagement goes and, and yeah evaluate from there i felt good about this because so it was like i think it was monday morning spencer and joel were like we're feeling a little bit blocked like we're kind of like moving forward without a map we could definitely like use some help on this and i was like that is totally my job like i see that as like squarely in the my domain it's like okay the team is blocked they need outside help that's on me so like made the tweet got it going screened some candidates set up a call negotiated the rate did all that stuff and like it's it's thursday and like we are we basically agree like okay you know starting this week or maybe early next week like you're gonna we have help that felt good that felt like an important kind of thing to be to jump on top of really quickly Mm -hmm. and so this came just purely through sharing on social just people kind of inbound reaching out to you and all i did was was put it on twitter uh, and ask people to dm me i reached out at one point to stephanie hurlbert who has like 42,000 followers, like, and she's big in the games industry. So I figured her audience would have a lot more C++ people in it or that type of people. And so I asked her if she would retweet it and she did, which was really cool of her. Uh, and yeah, it took about a day and I got mm, half dozen responses somewhere around there. That's cool. That's So that's yet another advantage of kind of building up your your network online is so that yep. you can kind of... Uh, so useful. Like that. And it's like totally a no-brainer for people to share it around or or inquire because you're basically saying... Like I want to pay somebody for their services, you know? Yeah. Do you know people that like money and have expertise (laughs) because we're interested? Yeah. It's funny. Like I told you, I shared like my KPI dashboard the other day and like, it feels a little silly having like Twitter followers on there, but at the same time, it's kind of not, it just keeps being really useful. And so I think continuing to treat that as kind of like a useful business endeavor is uh, I will keep doing. Yeah. It's a nice funnel to tap into when you need to. Yeah, exactly. So like possible customers, but also just, you know, useful referrals and things like that. Mm -hmm. Having Mm -hmm. that megaphone, it can be really, really handy. Yeah. 
Nice. Yeah. And uh, that like being useful on the internet thing just keeps being a good keeps yielding dictum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like adding followers. I'm continuing to add followers and I'm adding them faster every week, which is cool. So it's starting to, it feels like it's starting to like snowball just a little bit. I had a, a tweet about uh, a bash shell tip that blew up uh, and got, you know, tens of thousands of uh, engagements as they call it. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny to see kind of measure like which hot tips seem to take off more than others. And like the more obscure the programming language, the fewer, you know, you get naturally. And so like Git and kind of like bashy type generic things tend to like kind of spread around real fast. uh, I found totally I was telling uh, Spencer, I was like, I feel like if I felt like I was about to run out of money, I'd probably go make a shell course. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. There's just a lot of useful little shell esoteric bits of information that can speed up your day to day flow. Right. It's like no one really very few people identify as like a shell developer but we're all using it all the time basically right. so it's like one of your core interfaces and so like there's yeah. useful things to know about it yeah, yeah. and, and I, I didn't think that was that much useful stuff in there but at my last gig at my last job i saw some we had someone there who was like a real bash and unix aficionado and watching his, his speed at things i was like oh wow there is a there's like a full like 10x level difference between me and him at, at the shell i would say and it was pretty awesome to see. So it made me realize, yeah, there's there's plenty more of <laughs> productivity to be had there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's a nice gap in there, too, of like, we're not all going to become aficionados like that. But there's probably the 80-20 the rule. There's the, <laughs> there's the few things that are going to provide 80% of the value. And like, if we can all start using those. <laughs> yeah, this because this guy was hardcore. Like, But it was just awesome to see. Like, So he, at one point, was like, wanted to Google a thing. And so he quickly used homebrew to install a text-only web browser and popped it open in a new tmux split to like go search something on stack overflow and i was like why do you do that he's like well because usually when i'm pairing i only bring a keyboard and i don't bring a mouse and so i want to have like full text control and so i just use this browser in a different split i was like whoa i love how (laughs) hardcore that is that is extremely neckbeardy (laughs) yeah super neckbeardy but I, I, i appreciate that yeah good progress there it's excited about getting an outside help we were feeling a little bit like like very much out of our element and like eventually we would have figured it out right like you know that's that's one of the core things in programming is like you just have to throw yourself into new technologies and new worlds all the time and so we would have gotten there but the time versus money thing is is an important consideration and because i have done some pre-sales we have some cash in the bank and so it's like yeah we can totally spend this on a consultant to go faster and that felt like exactly the right kind of thing to spend the money on we're not buying office space or like, you know, lattes, uh, <laughs> yep. but if, if we can get someone to help us move faster, that's totally worth it. Cool. So besides the code quality challenge and being valuable on the internet, do you have a, any other like marketing things kind of on your plate that you... I don't really. Um, one other thing that's on my mind is like podcast appearances. Mm, yeah. It's like showing up, be on Adam's podcast. There are a couple other people I'm thinking about reaching out to who have podcasts that I think would be a good fit for what I have to talk about. Those are kind of the big things right now but it's funny I, I i've been doing some other stuff this week and this week didn't feel super productive to me besides like getting that consultant i've sort of stepped away a little bit from the sales thing where before i was spending a lot of time just like reaching out to people and trying to sell team plans and it was working and it's like i did some stuff this week and it was good but it wasn't quite as good as like making a few thousand dollars for the company that's going to end up being my number one thing for a while like if i can just keep it going and like maybe eventually I'll have to f- figure out a different strategy for sales. But as of right now, just reaching out among the channels I already have and talking to people uh, has been working pretty well. Yeah. Maybe like kind of setting a quasi quota for yourself. 
So then if you hit that benchmark earlier in the week, then you can kind of flex your time around it. But like trying to hit a goal or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And like on my KPI dashboard, there's like a number of things where it's like new, new subscribers to the tuple email list, new people on the code quality challenge, things like that. So I have like a number of marketing goals, but one of them is also like revenue in the last week. And the last couple of weeks it's been zero. And the, all the other numbers are good and moving in the right direction. But it's like, yeah, but that revenue one's kind of the real one. Mm-hmm. Like if mm-hmm. I deleted all the others and just made that one go up, that would probably be the right move. So I'm going to not ignore that at all. Just psychologically, if we were looking at hiring a consultant and spending a couple grand or whatever it's going to cost, and there were no money in the bank, and so it was like, okay, the three of us are going to like transfer cash out of our checking accounts or whatever, that doesn't feel very good. We might still do it, but it also just like feels nasty. But it's like, okay, there's there's money in the tuple account, and we're just assuming that's for this kind of thing. And so that feels actually great. There's like no pain associated with that money going away in my mind. Yeah, it's kind of the difference between self-funding and bootstrapping and because you've you're managing to acquire some of those pre-sales revenue like you are effectively bootstrapping right now you know it's not total like revenue for a delivered product but it is revenue right so i think that needs to be my like number one thing that's what i'm optimizing around so it's like my i think my responsibilities are sales then marketing instead of sort of the other way around uh is, is probably the way to think about it yeah sounds like you're thinking about it the right way I think so. That's how I feel this week. But my, you know, my, I change my mind a lot. <laughs> we'll see next week where it's at. <laughs> yeah. I feel bad sometimes. I feel like I, I, I'm like, I tend to like run in one direction for a little bit. And I'm like, no, 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 it's the other direction. And then I run in the other yeah. direction. Yeah. I'm basically in a constant state of that right now. Push and pull between like, when should I actually start trying to get pre-sales money? When should I finish these mock-ups? When should I call it good enough? When should I make progress on the product? Ah, oh, so many things. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah picking the right direction is the hard part it's like after that like execution is tricky too but it's mostly like are you working on the right things that's really what matters here and so i feel like i'm always like reevaluating that and maybe changing it too often i don't know we're we are not multi-threaded we are not very good at uh parallelism <laughs> i think yeah so i guess that's it for me this week uh, i'm off next week you might you can uh have some a guest on if you would like cool i'm actually so i'm camping next week when we would normally record so we can either record early or one of us can figure out a guest or something yeah. i think we might just be off because I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow so okay okay cool so sorry everybody yeah but but when we come back we'll have such amazing updates yes they should be out of this world yeah totally um i do have a, a plug for something i've been reading Ooh. um okay i've been trying to make it through some of my reading list and uh near the top just by sheer volume of recommendations was shoe dog the story of nike authored by phil knight and I'm about halfway through it right now. And last night, I think I read a couple hundred pages just because I was just riveted by the story. And I would highly recommend it to anyone interested in entrepreneurship or just a really good narrative because it's just fascinating to hear like all the hoops he had to jump through just to get a shoe company off the ground. Of course, this was back in you know the late 60s, I think, or mid 60s when he started. So the world was much different back then. You had to bank in the state in which you lived and there were only really a few options. And if those bankers wouldn't work with you, then you just basically couldn't get funding and venture capital wasn't even a thing back then. So he was operating under all these constraints and there are just so many points where the company could have easily gone under and completely folded. He did a lot of research, not just recalling from his own memory, because that was a long time ago, but like, you know, interviewing other people and and kind of looking back through whatever records he could find to piece together the story. And it's really like a, a personal telling of the story. So it's it's a very good read. Awesome. Sounds cool. Yeah. yeah. 
I'll add it to my list of my long and ever growing list. Yeah. As if you need another thing on your to read list, I'm sure. <laughs> so much. My pocket yeah. queue is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I want to make a like a guilty non-readers retreat mm-hmm. on a lake where we just go for a week and just get through our reading queue or try to chip away at some of it. It's kind of hard for me. It's a hard thing for me to even work in into my regular schedule to just sit there and read for a couple hours in the evening where I'm like, I could be just banging out some code right now or writing a blog post, but no, I'm just going to read. But I think it's it's like anything, like the more you are able to pull away from your main thing, the more it frees up your mind to think of new creative ideas. And of course, taking in information like a like a great read like this kind of helps inspire and yields other benefits. So yeah yep you don't have to sell me on reading i'm sold yeah. just to have it's the just, but just have the discipline just to too much. do it yeah yeah There's so much coming in yeah well i'll throw out a plug too as long as we're adding to people's lists you may have seen this on hacker news it's just a google doc founder to ceo hmm. did you come across this uh sounds kind of familiar but remind me what it is the subtitle is how to build a great company from the ground up uh, and it's written by matt mockery who apparently does he coaches tech startup ceos in silicon valley it's like, okay, you're a founder, but you're working in a company that is going to have to grow and become more than you and your, your founding team. What do you need to know? And it's not a perfect fit because it's, it's very much assuming venture capital and incredibly rapid scaling and all that. But it is still an interesting read. And I think there's some, there's some good nuggets in there that are worth taking. Nice. Cool. Yeah. I'll check that out. Cool. Awesome. Well, should we wrap it? Yeah, let's wrap it. All right. Show notes. Show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Man, outsourcing that to you was one of my best decisions of this podcast. (laughs) Happy to do it. All right. I'll see you next time. See ya.